Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. This episode is really powerful. You guys are going to get to hear one of my absolute best friends, Amelia, share her story with you guys. Listening back to this episode, I got quite emotional. I wanted to give Amelia the biggest hug as I was listening. You guys are going to really be impacted by her story. And if you're listening and it triggers anything in you or you realize that you have maybe codependency issues or some early trauma from childhood is coming up, just know that there are resources and guides that you can use to work through that, which I will link in the show notes. I don't want to take a bunch of time talking in the intro because this is a long episode, but it's an amazing episode. It's a powerful episode. As you guys are listening, please DM me, take a screenshot, let me know what parts are resonating with you. I'm at Brooke DeVard on all social platforms, at Naked Beauty Planet. That's the Instagram account for this podcast. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you guys on this one. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, guys, I am here with Amelia. Hi, Amelia. Thank you for joining from your beautiful Los Angeles, Malibu home. Thank you for having me, Brooke. Yes. And it's so funny because we always have these like long conversations on the phone. I have my glass of wine here. So this is kind of just like a regular catch up, but now everyone else gets to hear it. Indeed. And I have my liquid marijuana, as you know, I prefer. Oh my God. You know what? An LA girl is going to be an LA girl. Mm-hmm. Drink, drinkable THC is just, I wouldn't expect anything less. Exactly. The low dose edibles are your friend. Yes. Well, okay. I'm so happy because we have talked so much during this past year and during quarantine, just about like your experience in therapy. I was pregnant, becoming a mom. I was dealing with all of the things that went along with pregnancy and becoming a mom. But we've had these like really great conversations throughout the whole past year. And I really wanted to have you back on the podcast to talk about some of that stuff because I feel like skincare is great, makeup products are great, but so much of self-care is mental well-being and being real and honest with yourself about where you are in your life journey. And I feel like you have just done such a tremendous job at working to improve yourself and working to improve your relationship with yourself. So I'm excited to have you back on. Thank you. I'm excited to share and be here. Yes. And last time you were on, you had just come back from like a 10-day silent retreat, which still, that that episode was like two years ago. I still can't imagine going on a silent retreat. It's a lot. 10 days of meditation. You go into some deep places within yourself and find new sensations. Would you do it again? Actually, I've been wanting to sign up. I'm like, it's it's time. I have oh some housekeeping to do. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like all of quarantine has been like a, a silent meditation we've all been in. Certainly, but one of avoidance and finding all of the best binge-worthy television shows. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> no, no Netflix at a silent retreat. No, indeed. So I want to just jump into the kind of work that you've done the past year around codependency and inner child work because... I will be honest with you, Amelia, the term codependency, I kind of knew what it meant in terms of like depending on someone else in a way that's unhealthy. I've heard of like codependent relationships, inner child work. I can kind of guess what that means, like tapping into your inner child. But I would love to hear from you kind of like before we even get into what you think led you to be codependent on other people. Yeah. How did you recognize 
that you were codependent? Like what, what were some like kind of like triggers or like alarm bells that made you think, okay, this is something I need to work on to better myself? Truthfully, I didn't understand it for a long time, even though I assumed the label, you know, without getting too far into the weeds at this point, growing up with a parent who's an addict naturally lends to codependency. And so through years of therapy, they're like, oh, you're codependent. I'm like, yeah. And it didn't really mean a lot to me. I'm like, what's Mm -hmm. the worst? Why does it matter? Like, all I want to do is help. I just want to be helpful and and love people. So why do I, why does it matter? Mm -hmm. And only in my recent journey with it and therapy, I kind of was badgering my therapist. I'm like, I want a plan. I want to be, feel better. Like, give me the steps. What do I Mm -hmm. need to do? Like, give me the workout plan. Mm -hmm. And she suggested that I join a 12 step program for codependency. And it was only there that I realized the damage that it was doing to me and to my relationships. Mm -hmm. and what it really meant and how it showed up because things that I thought were who I was, Mm -hmm. that I thought was my personality were actually just these deeply ingrained, conditioned things Mm -hmm. about me. And so codependency, if we're to define it, I think it's still very, it shows up in so many different ways for different people, but it's an imbalanced relationship where maybe one person is an addict or immature or mentally ill or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And there's another person who suppresses all of their own needs and feelings in service of care to the other. Uh, And so it's inherently very imbalanced. Okay. That makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about you growing up. And I will be honest with you. It's like hard for me to even talk to you about it because it makes me so sad to think about you growing up with a parent that was struggling with addiction. And please only talk about it as comfortable as it makes you feel. But what was it like growing up with parents struggling with those things? Confusing, I think I would say. Like I never knew my mom to be sober. Mm -hmm. Or certainly there was brief moments of blips of sobriety, but she's never truly gotten sober. She's never done the work it takes to, to release addiction. And it's been hard to talk about. I think with the addiction came abuse. And in both of those things, there was so much pressure to mm-hmm. for it to be a secret mm-hmm. because I was afraid that, oh, if someone knew my family was like that, they won't want me around or mm-hmm. they'll see how broken I am and they won't want me around. And how or, old were you when you were dealing with this stuff? Because it's really heavy stuff to deal with. There was no start point. It was So from, as long as you can remember. Certainly, yeah. As long as I can remember. And it's interesting how it's coming up in the inner child work because I don't have a lot of childhood memories. Is it because Um, like you think you have a lot of trauma from childhood? So you've blocked it out? Maybe, you know, maybe it'll, maybe they'll come up one day. Maybe I have these hidden memories or maybe it's just, this is how I'm healing and I'm just not revisiting those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So what was it like? Well, my mom was on, you know, I'm a big believer that addiction comes from pain and she, she was sexually abused throughout her entire life. She suffered Mm -hmm. greatly and you know, I've been able to forgive her. And I Mm -hmm. thought, oh, that's my healing. Forgiving her is my healing. But actually, because of growing up in that situation, how I now think about it is I have bugs in my programming. I was programmed at that age. And now I have some bugs that I need to overwrite. And it's my adult self can intellectualize all of that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, my thinking fast brain, my reptilian brain was conditioned. And now I need to get to the layer deeper. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where the inner child work came in. But what did it feel like as a child? I felt alone. I Mm. felt unworthy. Why can't she get sober for me? Why Mm -hmm. doesn't she love me enough? What did I do wrong? Why Mm. is she hurting me? Why is she Mm. hitting me? Is she going to kill my dad? Afraid to go to sleep because I might have that dream again where finally she murders him. You know, like afraid, afraid. I was afraid and I was confused and I was turning all of that frustration and anger on myself. And it became very dark, you know, very self-hating and... Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear all of this. It like hurts my heart to to even think about because of course no child deserves that. But you know, you can't you can't choose your parents, you can't choose your situation, and you're just born into it and you have to kind of figure it out. And you probably did you feel like you had to grow up really fast? I felt like I had to grow up and I felt like I had to leave a really small footprint because Mm -hmm. now it's funny, one of the things that I'm recognizing in myself is I get super hungry, but I don't think to feed myself. Mm. And looking back, I'm like, oh, well, hunger wasn't something that you dealt with. It was something that you worked, you just got over because Mm -hmm. there wasn't food in the house or because she'd forget to feed me. Just like all of those little ways that 
having an unfit parent in whatever form that meant that I was being neglected. Mm -hmm. My feelings weren't allowed. My feelings weren't respected. My needs weren't met. And therefore, what I internalized was don't have needs, Mm. don't have feelings, or there's no point in sharing them because that might just incite violence against you. And that's not helpful. So just power through power, keep surviving and power through. And I live my life like that. I'm still living my life like that in some ways, but I think Mm -hmm. in my mid twenties was when I started to deal with it before I was just like, I'm fine. I'm okay. It is what it is. And I'm powering forward. But with this baggage on my back that weighs me down, that has weighed me down. And, you know, now I'm starting to do the housekeeping, Mm -hmm. getting a little Mm -hmm. bit lighter. And it's kind of interesting and exciting in a way because the healing involves honoring myself. It's counterintuitive for me, unfortunately, but I know that muscle will grow in time and I can rewrite that programming. And that's what I've really been working on now with the codependency. Even before you did this work around codependency, though, I think it is worth saying we met at Stanford University. You have to have pretty good grades to get into Stanford. So I would imagine that you were you know, very bright and did extremely well in school. I think, I think intelligence is genetic. So how much of that came from your mom versus your dad? But then I just know that you had to have an extremely strong work ethic to get the grades that you needed to, to be in all these honors programs to get into Stanford. So I feel like if if I had grown up in this environment, I'd probably turn maybe to drugs or I I don't know. I don't know how I would handle it, but how how were you able to kind of like find your own strength and say, I want kind of a better life for myself? Well, I don't know that it's even willpower. I guess that I saw, number one, I love school. School is my sanctuary. Imagine a place where you didn't have to worry about impending moods Mm -hmm. or violence or chaos ensuing. Mm -hmm. It was the place where Mm -hmm. I felt safe. It was a place where I felt acknowledged mm. and it was a place where I felt like, oh, this is where I can prove my value. This comes easily to me and this is, this is exciting. And being in my brain is a lot easier than being in my feelings. And so, you know, it kind of felt like a parachute out of this. Yeah, I'm a Taurus through and through, super stubborn. And I remember as a kid, even as a high schooler, going through the process or looking into kind of emancipation and becoming independent so that I could live alone and outside of the house, I was like, I'm going to build a peaceful home. That's the most important thing to me. That's the thing I value the most. Mm -hmm. I want a peaceful home and I want a family. And in order to do that, I have this skill that I can utilize to like make money and support Mm -hmm. myself and be independent. And so I think it was fueled very much by that stubbornness of you think I can't or like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I can't, you know, like I'm done. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So you, so you go to this 12 step program. I see these, like my reference is Alcoholics Anonymous, where they say yep. like, they're all based on Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, really? The steps okay. are the same. Yep. Okay. So how do you introduce yourself? Cause in Alco- Alcoholics Anonymous, right? You say like, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, what do you say? I'm, I'm a codependent. It depends on the group. So one of the groups I belong to is specifically for children of alcoholics, they say, but really addiction in general. And so my qualifier would be my mom. It's also now my dad because he's also an addict, unfortunately. You know, it might come at different places. So some people there are with their spouses who are currently in Mm. the throes of addiction. So there could be different qualifiers. It's not always a child um, Mm. of an addict, but so that's kind of how you can bring it in. So, okay, so you go to this this program, was this since quarantine? Like were these in-person sessions? I actually started in quarantine. And so I've only attended on Zoom. I look forward to being able to attend in person because I am looking for a sponsor and I'm still kind of shy and it's hard to ask (laughs) on a Zoom call, like, hey, do you want to like emotionally sponsor me through this like really deep, (laughs) like (laughs) arduous process? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for people that are like, okay, I actually want to get help like this. Is it just something like you just Google it and you look it up? Like I know your therapist. I look it up and you. see. I would say look it up and see what resonates. Um, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of twelve. I mean, these days the twelve steps are applied in so many places, and I really think of them as kind of my emotional housekeeping. Mm-hmm. And it's so cheesy, but it's true. It works if you work it. And right. this healing isn't oh, I'm going to power through and get to the healing finish line. It's a daily practice that. Mm-hmm. And it's a daily inventory I have to take with myself. So I think that if there's something that you're looking to recover from, or even if you're not sure about it, just go and listen. I didn't share for the first few 
meetings I attended because that part of my codependence is I'm afraid to take space. <laughs> I'm mm. afraid to have a need, but also because I just was trying to feel it out. But through hearing other people's stories and through hearing how it's impacting them, it, it gives me more context for the awareness I'm trying to build within myself. So how is it showing up in unhealthy ways? And I think that, you know, sadly, a big impetus for me doing this work is me realizing how being codependent is harmful to the people I want to be with. Because Mm -hmm. I think largely, if I were to say how I understand it in myself is being codependent is like you're entirely externally focused. So I'm only thinking about what's Brooke feeling? What's Brooke needing? What's Mm. Brooke wanting? And I'm completely unaware of my inner life. And so in my romantic relationship, it would show up as me completely repressing my needs and catering to them, even when it wasn't cool with me. And I didn't like that behavior. And I was like, oh, they were nice to me once. (laughs) And then I would just wipe away all of the things that were annoying me. And I'd say, oh, that need, I should just let go of that need. But I didn't realize I was really harming them because I was trying to control them. And I don't think of myself as a controlling person, but so much of codependence and codependency as a child is like, I was trying to keep my mom calm. I was trying Mm -hmm. to keep her sober. So I was constantly frantically running around trying to control her emotions, which I have no control over, which in turn causes me severe anxiety because I mean, even looking back, think about when we met. I know you noticed I would apologize all the time. I would apologize yeah, for existing. Apologize for like Amelia, having a need. Stop saying sorry. I remember always saying that to you. Exactly. Because all I'm thinking about is, oh, could that phrase have been misinterpreted to be mean? You know, I don't want her to feel that way. I don't want her to feel this way. Or I want her to feel good. You yeah. know, I want to make her happy. Mm-hmm. That seemingly innocuous phrase can actually be super hard because I could say I want to do something nice for you, Mm -hmm. but I have no control over how you react. I don't know what's going on with you. And it's not about me and it's not personal, but I think a large part of that codependency is taking that all on as personal, as a measure of your value, as a measure of the security of that relationship. Absolutely. And two things are coming up for me. I think one is that I understand this is kind of a symptom of codependency, but I think that a lot of women, period, feel a need to people please and feel a need to not speak up for themselves, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in relationships. And I'm happy you brought up relationships and I don't, again, tell me how comfortable you are speaking about it, but I think you made a very brave decision over a year ago now to end something. Are you comfortable talking about it? Sure. So Amelia, you were engaged to be married, a very you know, attractive, handsome guy. You guys looked very good together, which I know is just an external understanding of a relationship, but you guys did look great together. And he proposed in a very romantic way, very grand gesture, kind of bringing everyone together for this big surprise proposal. And then how many months into being engaged did you say, no, this isn't the future that I want for myself? So we got engaged in September and the engagement ended in January. Um, And actually during that time, it was just a wild time for me. I think in a way now I look at it as a blessing. The universe sent me a lot of things that I had to deal with. I had multiple family members with cancer. I was Mm -hmm. in and out of the hospital, just really catering to them and, and trying to be there for them. Meanwhile, my work was very busy and I was had so many responsibilities. Essentially, I was just at my wit's end. I was worked to the bone. I had nothing left to give, nothing left to take care of myself. And it was at that point that my my needs and my feelings really started to surface. I could no longer maintain myself alone. And when I went to him, trying to explain my feelings, asking for help, asking for support, I was met with frustration and anger. And you know, frustration I, I, and anger on his part, or like, I guess, I guess, say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, hey, I could really use your help in X, Y, and Z. And it would be, I have so much going on myself. I have all of this stress. Like, I can't deal with this. And also, why aren't you showing up for me? Stop, you know, like, why aren't you showing up for me essentially the way that you used to? And meanwhile, you've got family members dealing with cancer in the hospital. Yeah. And you know what? I I take 50% responsibility for the dynamic in my relationship because 
I set it up such that I didn't have needs and feelings and I didn't Mm. fight for them to be acknowledged or heard. I just did what I always did, grit and bear, suppress, repress, and Mm -hmm. power forward. But at this particular point, I didn't have the energy to suppress or repress. I was completely depleted and I really needed my partner. And through many long conversations and hard conversations, of course, at first we tried to talk it out. We tried to work through it. And ultimately what he was repeating back to me and mirroring to me was that I'm broken and therefore I can't know what I want or need. Or therefore, I can't know what I need in a relationship. I should just listen to him because he had a functional family of origin. And at that point, I was looking at my life and thinking, gosh, well, I have to assume this person isn't going to change because that's more likely than them completely transforming. And can I live my life with a person who's mirroring back to me that I'm broken, who's using my deepest insecurity as a weapon against me? Can I be with a person who, when I ask for something or when I need something, is kind of fighting back or pushing back on me? It's already so hard for me to ask my needs. And I'm so grateful that in that moment, I found the strength to prioritize myself and prioritize the fact that, no, I I refuse to be looked at by my life partner as broken. I don't see myself that way. And while that's a huge fear of mine, I absolutely refuse to look in the mirror of my partner every day and have that reflected back to me. And I want to be able to have needs and I want to be supported. And I want to be able to take my foot off the gas every once in a while and have someone step in and help out. Yes, absolutely. That's what everyone I think deserves in an equal relationship. Something that we've talked about. And again, if you don't want to talk about it, we'll just edit this part out and you can just tell me now that you don't want to talk about it. But with him, uh, who shall not be named, I remember you would talk about feeling a certain way or feeling depressed. And he would just say like, oh, we'll just go for a run. Just like wake up early and like go for a run. Which Is there anything more frustrating than that? Anything more like infuriating than that? What can you, do you feel comfortable talking about that? Of course. Yeah. I think that that's how he dealt with his own stress. He was very fit. So his stress release or his emotional dealing was going for a workout in a gym, but Certainly that was not my, that was not how I coped. And to have that reflected back to me at a time when I was at an unhealthy weight for me because I was eating my feelings. Mm -hmm. And when I was feeling just so low, I was just like, are you kidding me? Go to the gym? Just because, you know, maybe I thought about going to the gym today, but now because you're telling me to, (laughs) hard pass. Yeah, exactly. When you're dealing with really heavy stuff and you go to your partner looking for support and they just say like, well, uh, well, you're just in a funk, like get yourself out of it, like make make a green juice and, and go for a run. It's like completely disconnected from the reality of your situation. Right. Like I hope to have a find a partner one day that hears my feelings and says, your feelings are valid or hears a need and helps work with me on figuring out how I or we can meet that need and not you shouldn't have that need or your feelings are wrong because it's completely a subjective experience and your feelings aren't wrong and your needs are okay. And that's what, now that I'm doing the codependency work, I feel so grateful that I'm doing it at this point in my life because I think that in this recovery, I'm finally going to be able to attract the relationship that I want because I'm no longer only in service to the other. I'm also in service to myself. And I think especially as we're choosing a life partner, you know, I want to get married forever. Of course. You know, you have to make sure that (laughs) I prioritize yourself. And it's hard, you know, I'm not, this was the hardest decision I ever made in my entire life. I mean, this, I lived with him for four years. We had a dog. He was my core like family. That was the person I spent the most time with. And it took several months to extract ourselves. I always joke it was the divorce, you know, <laughs> although I think divorce would even be more complicated and intensive with all of the legal, legal side of things. It was so tough. But looking back now, I think, thank God, because right. living a life with a partner where I wasn't allowed to have needs or feelings was, would be unbearable. Yes. And so important to choose yourself over anything else. So yeah, I appreciate that. I think that looking back to, we had broken up once before where I also was at a very low point and we had, I had moved to a new city for him and it was a place that I was not vibing with. 
And it was really hard for me. In that first week, I was really struggling. And he got so angry at me. You know, that was the impetus for our first breakup. You know, we broke up and I started freaking out. I'm like, this is a great person. And he's kind of like, you know, naming all of the positive attributes and using it as a reason to get back together with him. But my initial instincts were correct. So my recommendation to your listeners is that you prioritize yourself and listen to your instincts. If you have to talk yourself into a relationship, you probably shouldn't be in that relationship. It's so interesting about this thing about like letting it get too far. Cause I think a lot of people feel like, oh, we've been together for so long. We already lived together. It's too late. And then they think, oh, well, he's proposed. We're engaged. It's too late. Or the wedding invitations have been sent out. It's too late. And then it's like, well, we're married already. It's too late. And it's like, well, we have it. We already have a child together. It's too late. Oh, we already have two right. children together. And it's like, it's never too late to choose yourself and to recognize that you want something different for yourself. The the idea of, you know, we've already made too many commitments or we're too far down the road. I think it's really important to listen to that inner voice. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Yep. And spirit should trump ego. So for my mm. ego, it was really hard to like go through this very public mm. engagement, have my friends at our engagement party and then say it didn't work. But my spirit needed that. My spirit mm. knew it wasn't right. And so I think that that's something that I always want my spirit to win. Sometimes ego might be the driver, but I hope that my spirit makes the call because at the end of the day, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I don't give up about my ego and what right. other people are thinking right. about me. And I was just actually reading this book, The War on Art. And he said something to the effect of, if you were to do something, would you do it if no one else was around? So are you doing something to find your place in the hierarchy, i.e. Mm -hmm. to suit some ego need? Or are you doing something because your heart, your spirit wants mm. you to? And for me, that was my New Year's resolution is answer the call of my spirit. Like I want to be a different profession. I want to show up more fully as myself and not be afraid. I just want to live from that spirit place. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I want to talk to you more about the recovery process. So you've identified the problem, you've gone into treatment, but then kind of what does recovery look like for you or the process of recovery? Sure. So going to meetings and my different, I'm in a couple of different 12 step programs and kind of just feel it out as I go. That helps. Uh, it's just to bring more awareness because I need to constantly do the inventory. I'm trying to give myself kind of rules. So if it's not an emphatic, yes, it's a no until I can decide otherwise. I think uh, what's, what's an example of that? Like how, how does that show up in your daily life? Well, something innocuous and fun is like with clothes. I buy all <laughs> these clothes on sale and I try it on. And you know, when it's an emphatic, yes, you know, when you're like, yes, I feel good in this. It looks right, good. All right. the things. Like those jeans, be... those jeans we bought at Barney's before it closed down. Exactly. Those emphatic, were yes. yes. Those, those look great yes. on us. <laughs> those were and great. we love them. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> but, you know, maybe there's other things where you're like, oh, well, I got it on such a great discount and it's this designer or whatever. No, right. if you have to talk yourself into it, right. no. Right. And the right. same thing with, especially with my family, I think is where it's so hard to draw those lines because I love them. I care about them, but they're still in their own codependent dynamics. So when my dad is asking me to come home for a week and cook every day and clean the house, it's like, Maybe I'll cook one night if I feel so, if my the spirit moves me and it's coming from a high vibration of yeah. like love and energy and excitement. But if it's coming from that place of obligation and duty and compulsion, really just to do it, everything that's right. asked of me, that's a no. And right. it's hard to say no, especially with the people where the, that dynamic is so deeply ingrained, like my, my family, but yeah, that it's a daily practice. And with every no, it gets a little easier. You know, in one of the programs I'm in, they say, if you're not feeling selfish 20 times a day, then you're not doing it right. It's scary. You know, it's scary because I think that the other part of the recovery I'm doing is the inner child work. And part of that is what are the rules that were maybe unspoken or spoken that were reinforced through your parents' behavior? And inner child work is completely separate from codependency. And there's, I think there's a lot of applications. And if you're intrigued, try it. But essentially, you get in touch with, your younger self. So the psyche of two-year-old Amelia lives within me and the five-year-old Amelia lives within me. And guess what? Sometimes when I'm triggered, if someone's like drunkenly running amok and getting like angry, five-year-old Amelia driving, she starts to panic and she freaks out or whatever. And so how am I less reactionary healing those, that little me? 
Mm-hmm. And so if I were to go back and examine what were those rules that I would want rewritten, some of the rules in my house were you can't be happy until I'm happy. So I spent all my time trying to make them happy and never had time for myself. Or what you want isn't right. What I want for you is correct. So just mm-hmm. do what I want. Or don't cry. Something so innocuous, right? Like it's so you almost like want to say it to a baby. You don't want them to be sad, but then you might be sending the message being sad isn't okay, you know, or boys don't cry, whatever it might, you know, you can't feel that feeling for whatever reason. And so that's where the bugs in the programming kind of start to come in. And that's where you can actually do that deeper level of work. So I was doing one today and, you know, it's in a way a meditation visualization. And you think back and you think back to that house where you grew up and your parents are there and you're five years old. And what are you feeling? Well, she's feeling scared, tired, confused, sad. She just tried to break up another explosive fight by yelling, getting in the middle of it, and of course was unsuccessful. She's waiting for the sounds to stop, the banging, the clanging. She's hoping that nothing super bad happens. She's checking to see, has her dad left yet to get away? Is her mom going to come into her room and then unleash on her? And she's sitting there alone. That's so much for a little five-year-old. But me, I'm 31-year-old Amelia, and I can come to her and I say, Amelia, like, I got you. You're not alone anymore. You're not alone. I'm looking out for you, and I care about what you want and need, and I care about your feelings. I care about you, and I'm going to love you unconditionally. And like you and me, we're in this for life. We're family for life. And, you know, I'm looking out for you. It moves some stuff. You know, I'm not exactly sure how it's showing up, but it definitely changes how I feel in my heart and how I feel about myself. I think for so long, self-hatred was the norm. And I don't know that I'm at the self-love point yet, but I sure as heck will honor and respect myself. And you know what? I love little Ama. She's super (laughs) cool. And like, she's fun, you know, and I only want her to be her. And that's something I have to tell myself every day. Be you. What you want is allowed you're not going to lose your security. You're not going to lose your family. You're not going to lose your friends by being yourself. Wow, that's so deep. And I can see how tapping into that younger version of yourself from the perspective you have now to say it's okay that you're feeling these feelings because no one was there to tell you that at the time that you can kind of retroactively tap into that. And it's so interesting what you said about the fact that who you are as a two-year-old is still who you are now and who you are as a five-year-old and seven, you know, it's, it's still yeah, kind they of, live within us. Yeah, it's such a great point. And I sometimes I wonder if I'm honoring my inner child enough and like if I'm having as much fun as I should be having. Like I it's so funny. I always think about how when I was younger, I would like think about when I'm older, like I'm gonna have like electric blue walls and I'm gonna have like a leopard print bedspread and I'm gonna yes. jump, I'm gonna jump I remember thinking like my parents would always tell me to not jump on the bed. And I was like, when I have my own room, I'm gonna jump on the bed all night long. And now I just don't have the energy to jump on the bed. But, you know, it's like you have these ideas about how you're going to live your life and the choices you're going to make. And now that we're adults, we don't have anyone telling us we have to work in this specific job or we have to wear our hair this way or we have to dress a certain way. It's like almost like you get older and then you let the world's conditioning define how you should live and you kind of forget what your younger self dreamed of you doing when you were an adult and you could make your own decisions. Definitely. And, you know, I invite you to talk to little Brooke. I bet (laughs) she's super cool. And one of the tactics that if you're into journaling that they recommend is that your adult self writes with your dominant hand. So I'm left-handed. I would write as 30-year-old Amelia with my left hand and I would write as inner child Amelia with my right hand and like actually open that dialogue. But I think that it's really interesting, you know, and it's really interesting to think about, okay, do I want something because I want it or do I want it because society, family, whatever is telling me to want it and need it? And would I do this if there was no one else on earth? Yes, yes. Something else that you brought up, which I think is really interesting, is this idea of spirituality being misused. But I'm not quite sure I 100% understand what you mean. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I've been only recently kind of identified and acknowledged in myself. And it's this idea of spiritual bypassing. So we talked about the 10 day meditations and I don't prescribe to any particular religion, but I would say it's more closely aligned with Buddhism than anything else. And 
I would go through these meditation retreats and in the meditation, you know, I'm observing sensations in my body, but very crucial to this belief is don't get attached to the good feelings. Don't stay away from the bad feelings. And a spiritual bypass example of that is, okay, so let's say I'm my codependent self. I have this need or someone hurt my feelings and I'm upset about it. Instead of acknowledging my feeling and taking action and having agency in my own life, I would use that spirituality to, as another reason why I shouldn't have feelings. Oh, everything's changing. Oh, it's not personal. It's not about you. You shouldn't be upset. Just let it go. Just Mm -hmm. let it go, you know, like, and think that, yeah, I would just use it as another defense mechanism. Maybe it's a intricate advanced defense mechanism that seems well and good on the surface and looks pretty from the outside, but I'm just using that as another reason why I shouldn't have feelings or needs. Right. It almost makes me think of those like cheesy posters that people have, like keep calm and carry on as as if that's like a good thing, right? Like just let it go. Like water off the rolling off your back, just like keep going. Don't let things get you down when really our strength and our power comes from confronting our feelings and feeling our feelings and allowing them to change us and ask deeper questions. Yeah. That's a really good point. You nailed it. As a someone who's repressed feelings most of her life, I can tell you not acknowledging them does not make them go away. It just lends to heaviness in your body that you carry with you Mm -hmm. until you actually deal with it and acknowledge the pain and the feelings. And so I was listening to a podcast recently and Cleo Wade was the guest and she said, I'm obsessed. She's so wise. And she said that, you know, think of your words as spells and the spells that you say to yourself are you know, just think of it that way. You have to be very deliberate and specific because you're going to bring it into action. And so one of the things that she said is the differentiation between I am anxious, which is like we're identifying with a feeling. If I take it back to my meditation or spirituality, instead of getting attached or trying to get away from, or I'm doing that, I'm getting attached or trying to get away from, I'm taking on the feeling. But really what the meditation is teaching me and another way to reframe that in a more helpful way is I'm moving through anxiety. I am not anxiety. Mm-hmm. I am not anxious. It's just something that it's a sensation I'm watching pass through my body. And so I'm acknowledging it, but I'm not identifying with it. And then I can do my spiritual housekeeping. That's kind of how I think of it now. It's like, I need to no more repression because guess what? It turns out for me that like that'll show up on the scale. It'll show up in compulsive eating or compulsive shopping and these other ways that I try to feel better because I'm not dealing with feelings. Yes. So I definitely want to talk about eating and food. That's going to be our next topic. But before we get there, you talked about compulsive shopping, compulsive eating. Now I've always known you and I know this because we were roommates and I was the sloppy, messy one, but I've always known you to love to clean. Do you feel like your passion for cleaning is a compulsive thing that you do to like maintain? Certainly. Really? Because I I have always been deeply jealous of people that love to clean. But now I'm all like, I talked to my mom about it because she's like a compulsive cleaner and she's like, it's a sickness. Like it's not a good thing. My husband loves to clean. I think he's just a very orderly, neat person. Um, But people that love to clean... Is it this idea of putting things together on the surface to make you feel better inside? So I would think it's a control thing. Okay. For me, I will always love a clean environment. I think that regardless yeah. of we anything, it just feels better. You we know? all do. Even, even, even us messy people love a clean environment. We just don't want to be the ones better. to clean it. <laughs> it feels better. But for me, you know, if we think of codependency as trying to control the external world, control all of these things, mm-hmm. I would say... Cleaning isn't codependency. That's I don't want to conflate the two. But for me, it was, well, number one, my mom was like a mess and our house was insane just due to her mental illness and whatever. But so I think part of it was I'm not I'm not going to be my mom. And this is shameful, this mess. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be that I'm going to be worthy and I'm going to have the cleanest house you've ever seen. And I still will clean when I'm anxious. It does give me a sense of peace. And guess what? It's not really harming anything. And I'm kind no, of okay with it. Like, it's, a health, it's very healthy. I know? mean, it's a, it's a healthy way to deal with, um, you know, anxiety. Um, it's a great stress reliever. It's like, I'd say as healthy yeah. as exercising or anything else. But I just always wondered if it was coming from like a deeper place. Um, it's definitely compulsion. You. And I think it can be harmful, right? Like if I have crumbs on the counter... Should I let that completely eat away at me until I clean up the crumbs? Like, no, 
does cares? it? It's such, sometimes I guess it, it's a very depends on my mental wow. state. So like, I think that my cleanliness relaxes when I'm feeling healthy and, and whole and good. Like I always am clean. I'm never not yeah. going to be clean and orderly, but I think that I was disinfecting our entire kitchen and like cleaning every cabinet on an almost daily basis. Yeah. I'm sure, we my, I'm, sure, I'm sure my messiness was really triggering for you though. And that's why now I feel really bad. Please don't feel bad because you do you and that's perfect. And mine was like an unhealthy standard. So definitely don't conform to that. <laughs> I couldn't even if I wanted to. I've tried. I've tried to like brain my, yeah. brainwash myself into being like a neat freak and it just doesn't work. Okay, let's talk about food. We spent a lot of this summer talking about food. The reason why food came up so much is because I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, as you and all of my listeners know. and my great joys in life, carbs and sugar. Oh yeah. Were and ripped. cheese. Well, no, I could eat cheese. Oh, I thank ate God, lots yes. of cheese, but like what good is cheese without the carbs? You know, like we always Correct. talk about how the ultimate combination is melted cheese on carbs, whether yes. that's melted cheese on toast, whether that's pasta with melted cheese, like cheese true, on true. its own is great. But like, if you can't have that cheese with a cracker, it's just, it, it really takes away from the cheese. But yes, I was not allowed to have sugar or carbs. And so we spent a lot of time talking about like one, why this was so upsetting for me. And we both identified for ourselves that food is a great source of joy. And I told you as I was talking to my therapist over the summer about why this was like so... And I adhered to the diet so strictly. Like some people are diagnosed with gestational diabetes and I think they're like, oh, I'll just like cut back here. Like I was like strict, like didn't eat fruit didn't have any desserts, didn't have a piece of bread. If I ordered a salad at a restaurant, I had to make sure there was no sugar in the dressing and I had to like pick off the croutons. Like it was just... You were thorough. I was thorough, but it was like, it was honestly depressing. And like, I would wake up in the morning and like my joy for life was dimmed. Like it made me realize though how much like joy I get from food and these foods that bring me comfort. And I remember talking to my therapist about it and she was asking me something about like childhood and and my routines and rituals around food. And I, I kind of told her how like when I would come home from school, I would make a uh, cheese toast. Like I would get my like Cracker Barrel extra sharp cheddar. I'd like slice it very thick. I'd get my little multi-grain toast. I would like put it in the little toaster oven and I would just like sit by our little TV in the kitchen and like eat it. And it was just like joy. And she was like, for you, like joy. And she said, for a lot of people, food is fuel. Like they just eat to fuel themselves. And it's like a non-emotional thing. And you and I talked about how like food could not be further from fuel for us. It's like an emotional thing, right? Very emotional. In fact, cheese toast was also my high school go-to. I would come yes. home be like, ah, oh, like <laughs> it, that's my me time. Yeah. Cause also like I'm eating, like I can't be doing anything else. Like right. you can't need me anywhere else. I can't do right. my homework. I'm it, it's important to eat, you know? Right. So that was my me time. Right. Right. That was right. my me time. It's so, it's so deeply emotional and it's so, and you know, come, living in a Greek family, if you feel sad, just eat it eat, just eat more. Right. You'll feel better soon. Right. It was the, right. it was the, an right. emotional coping mechanism that was, I was taught to me and I fully ad adopted. I think right. that, you know, not all joyous eating is emotional coping. It comes in different ways, but yeah, food is so, so tied deep to yeah. my totally. emotions. I mean, yeah. I, I just interviewed a woman extremely knowledgeable. There's a lot about honoring your body and the mind-body connection. And she talked about how when she eats carbs and stuff, it doesn't serve her. Like she doesn't feel good afterwards. And I was like, I really struggle with that because like I genuinely do feel good. Like I may not feel energetic, but I certainly feel good. And it wasn't this thing where like, because I went, you know, months without eating carbs, like I feel like now all of those testimonies I hear about are such BS where people are like, I was so much happier. Like my mood improved, like my skin was better. It's like, no, okay. I've been on the other side. Like it's not like for me, it did. I wasn't this like joyous, happy person because I wasn't eating carbs. And I feel like that type of language around diet culture is actually really harmful. Cause don't you hear people saying like, I cut carbs and it like changed my life and I have so much more energy and I'm so much happier. Don't you hear people say stuff like that? Of course. Yeah, of course. And I think that it's hard too, because we hear that. And I, my first question is, did you have celiac disease? Like, were right, you eating right, like right. really gnarly gluten 
made in America yeah. from Monsanto, you know, right, like right, that right, stuff right. will ordering, make you sick and feel yeah, awful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like were you ordering Domino's every single night and then now you're not And so yeah, of course you're going to feel better. But for me, I feel best when I have balance in my diet, when I'm eating a little bit of everything, like a true omnivore diet. But the other thing that you and I can relate to, and it's that we actually haven't even talked about this. I'll get to it in a second. But one thing that we can relate to is like the anxiety of like having to split something with other people. And well, the thing we haven't talked about when you were last in New York and we all went to cook shop to order, remember you and I, like we had an agreement, like oh, we were yeah. going to split the pizza, like you and I, like, okay, Amelia, side like, agreement, not a like, table agreement. And then everyone in the table was like, I'll have some of the pizza too. And I was like, literally panic. We're not splitting this pizza. So then I was like, let's just order another pizza for the table because I don't, I don't like fighting over food. I don't like no. the competitive aspect of the table. <laughs> Shit, I like nothing stresses me out more than people being, let's just get a few appetizers and share. Like, I need to know what my food is and I need to know that I have enough and I don't have to like eat it quickly. There, there's no competition. Right. But that's also because food for me is like this emotional thing. So, like, when I order dessert, I want that dessert and like I can handle maybe splitting with one person, but when it's like four people and they're like, oh yeah, I'll get a spoon too. No, that apple apple cobbler is doing something for me on a spiritual level. Exactly. And I'm managing my own emotions and I have every bite planned out and I'm anticipating the end and I can't have it get here sooner because I'm not emotionally ready. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like I need to finish it on my own pace of my own time. And I can't be this competition. It's just, it, it stresses me out. Exactly. Like I'm eating my salad first because I want the last taste in my mouth to be my delicious pasta. I'm not, not touching the pasta because I don't want to eat it. So please right. don't invite yourself to my plate. I have a plan. <laughs> no, it's a plan. <laughs> oh my God. It's, I'm just so happy you can understand and relate. But I very much do. As people that love food and love to eat, I'm so impressed with how you have found like these really healthy alternatives to really indulgent food. Because a lot of people that talk about like indulgent, healthy food, when they tell me this stuff, I'm like, you're not someone who really loves to eat. Cause you're talking to me about having like sliced cantaloupe and like, I'm sorry, like if I'm craving red velvet cake, don't tell me to have a half a cup of blueberries at night to satisfy like a cup of tea and a cup of tea. Like it's just not going to cut it, honey. So Tell me about the like healthy food swaps you've made and just explain what Erewhon is for people listening outside of Los Angeles. Oh God, Erewhon is my happy place. It is the most beautiful grocery store you've ever seen where they have the most critically chosen produce from mm. biodynamic or like it's organic is the low bar at yeah. Erewhon. It, it is makes, biodynamic. It's local. Yeah. It's everything you want. It makes Whole Foods look like amateur hour. I mean, yeah, it makes Whole Foods look unhealthy. Yeah. It's insane. When I went, I was like, what is this place? And we, and we went to the Calabasas one, which was like the bougiest. Oh God. And it's it's the biggest. They have a cheese like set up to make you just your heart sore. But to your question, of course, I think I'm so blessed living here in LA to be able to go to farmer's markets, to go to Erewhon, to be able to have this beautiful produce at my disposal and accessible and affordable. But healthy food does not have to be a deprivation. And I think that's like a really big unlock for me is I used to think, oh, it's calorie counting. That's me being healthy and getting to my goal weight or whatever. Or it's, you know, taking out all of the joy of eating and no carbs, mm-hmm. no sugar, no fun. Right. And so for me, my line is I don't want processed food. I don't want crap really. Like, but if I want to eat an entire spoonful of honey and peanut butter, fine. You know, it's for me, it's much more about the quality of the ingredients Mm -hmm. than it is about the caloric breakdown or the grams of sugar. And so it makes it really fun. Like Erewhon has a sea of beautiful desserts that they make, one of which is my go-to. It's my period week and I'm treating myself dessert. And it's an avocado-based chocolate mousse Mm. that is so delicious and delectable. No refined sugar, no carbs. It's avocado, cacao, maple syrup. And I don't even look at the calories or think about, oh, should I eat this or not? My line is good quality ingredients, not no fun, no sugar, no carbs. Like if I'm going to buy a loaf of bread, I'm going to buy it from a bakery that uses organic grains, ideally 
from abroad because American wheat is toxic, you know? Yeah, that's I think that's a really smart way to approach eating. Just focus on the quality as much as you can. Yeah, there's this old movie. Have you ever heard? Oh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Um, Have you ever seen the movie Anti-Mame? It's like an old movie. Yeah, of course. Okay, but her whole thing is life's a banquet and some poor suckers are just starving to death. Like we (laughs) have to live. Like what? I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking, oh, I wish I had that cake or I wish I allowed myself to do what I care to do. And I wish I honored myself more. Like I want to feel like I came, I saw, I did the things. I allowed myself to live and experience the things that are calling out to me for whatever reason. I'm not going to judge myself for loving food. I love food. Why should I abstain from something that gives me joy and doesn't cause harm in my life? Right. Right. And, And then when you think about it even more deeply, it's like the reason you're abstaining is to probably be skinnier and fit into a certain size. And I think I've had such an interesting experience with my body changing, like to go from being a size zero two to then being obviously pregnant and really huge. But now post-pregnancy, I mean, none of my clothes fit. I'm still 30, 40 pounds higher than my pre-pregnancy weight, but I don't feel less beautiful. Like I don't, I feel like there's such a fear built up around like being bigger. And I never knew until this, it happened to me how I would feel if someone had told me a year ago, okay, you're going to be 40 pounds heavier than you are now. How is that going to feel? Like, I think it maybe would have like made me panicky, but somehow now that I'm here, it's like fine. And it's not like the end of the world, but I feel like so much of like diet culture and the way that they make you feel about food is like this idea that like somehow being larger is going to be, I don't know, send you into like a spiral of depression and self-hatred. Right. I I think the message that's fed to us is unless you're meeting success criteria of the society, which is looking a certain way, having a certain amount of things or money, then you're not worthy or you're not valuable. But that's bullshit. And I have never been pregnant, but I have certainly fluctuated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. Um, And that was due to a lot of emotional eating. And for now, I don't care about the scale as much because for me, it's about feeling good in my body. It's not about what size. I'm never going to be a size four. I'm never like, that's just not my body. Mm -hmm. And I just want to feel good. So instead of measuring myself against others or against this external system, my measure is, can I, you know, climb up the mountain and feel good and not out of breath? You know, does my body is my gut functioning properly? You know, like just those things that make you feel vital and alive and good. And you can stay in flow and in movement. Right. And, you know, it's, it's about just like little daily actions. I used to try the, you know, the crash, whatever the calorie cutting, the, there's no, there's no shortcut to health. It's just about consistent daily action, progress, not perfection. It's not about being abstinent from everything bad. Like if you want to have a cocktail, have a cocktail, enjoy your life, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And even now I'm, I'm at the point where I do want to lose, but it's like this higher purpose where I realized so one, when you're breastfeeding, you can't lose too much weight because it affects your milk supply. And it's like, you can make small changes and you can, but I can't like, even if I wanted to, it would, I can't really like do a crazy crash diet and lose a bunch of weight because it's going to affect my ability to feed my child. And that's just like, when you realize like, wow, like your body is like designed in this way to do so much more than be aesthetically pleasing. You know, it's like, it has a much higher purpose and to reduce it down to that is a disservice. Exactly. Like what you did, you birthed the most beautiful baby boy oh, ever and you're you. giving him nutrients and goodness. Like, yeah, that's only, that's only good stuff. And like my suspicion is that the weight will just naturally fall off. You've been an exerciser, a healthy eater your entire life. Like those habits will prevail. Totally. And I think that it's probably won't even have to think about it. You just yeah. live the way yeah. that you've always yeah. lived and yeah. it's yeah. going to fall off. Yeah. Or it may not fall off or not and And it doesn't matter as long as you feel healthy that's perfect yeah yeah you're a beautiful woman who's living her best life so thank you i appreciate you know i appreciate that well i can't let you go without talking a little bit about skincare and beauty products and i wanted to know like what are the beauty products that you're loving lately because you and i have very similar taste in beauty products we want clean but we want effective like we're not We're not trying to put on something just because it's clean for the sake of it being clean. We want to see results. So so what are you loving right now? Well, given that it's winter and it's so dry here in LA, 
I'm obsessed with the Briogeo scalp detoxifying scrubbing shampoo. Every year around this time with like clockwork, I usually have some dry scalp issues. I've used the shampoo. I'll use it maybe once a week. No issues this year. And I also feel so after a great workout, I feel invigorated with this kind of peppermint in my scalp. And it's, it's some me time. So wait, how do you use it exactly? So I like really try to like work into the top. I'll get it on my fingers, get some water on and then really just scrub on the scalp. Okay. And so do you, so you do this in between washes? No, I use it as shampoo. So I'm a, Ah, I'm a Briogeo girl through and through. So I'll use that, the detoxifying scalp, whatever. And then I use the co-wash, which is kind of like hybrid condition wash. And then Mm -hmm. I use the conditioner. Nice. Okay. And then sometimes I'll do a little Olaplex bond protector after that. Love Olaplex. Yeah. Game changing. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting. There's a whole conversation now around scalp health and scalp wellness and how much of that is like the building blocks for healthy hair. And Briogeo is also a black owned company, which is awesome. I only recently found that out. It's an amazing company. They make great products. Yes. Yes. Okay. Second, second favorite thing you're using now. The Bella Nectar Alternative Retinol. Yes, yes. With the bovine tallow that we've discussed. <laughs> yes. Um, it's you know, it alternate... doesn't need to be vegan to be natural. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't need to be vegan to be natural. That's such a great point. But I think Hannah Bronfman actually is the one that put me onto that product. She was like, I'm obsessed with this like natural retinol. And like, I knew you would love it, which is why I sent it to you. But it's just like thick and good and like... Oh, like I just feel so luxurious and I wake up, my skin has never looked better in my opinion. Too bad we're in quarantine and I'm not going on dates and there's no one to see me, but I'm here for it. It's for me, you know, ultimately it's for me. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. And I love like a thick, like, I think I need to get more into like overnight masks. Like I love your final skincare step being like a very thick, balmy thing that you go to sleep. Exactly. And this Bella Nectar is it is just that it's a thick balm. It's almost like what you would think of as like a thick lip mm-hmm. balm, but for the whole face. And I feel like, okay, she sealed in all yes. those five serums and toner and et cetera, sealed. Yes. And yes. so that's how I like to sleep. Just okay. mummify me for the night. <laughs> love it. Okay. <laughs> and third favorite thing. I love the niacinamide 20% from Paula's Choice. I'm yes a very big pore woman naturally. And I've never had anything make my pores look smaller like this. It, it works. Yeah. 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 Use it. I mean, it's, it's advertised to reduce appearance of pores, like the size of your pores. And I think it definitely does do that. And I think I have pretty small pores, which is usually consistent with having dry skin, but I just love the niacinamide treatment. Yep. It's amazing. And I remember you had someone from Paula's Choice on the podcast yeah, and she was explaining how not just appearance. I think it actually coaxes the pore to close. Yes. 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 You know, long-term benefit there. Yeah. That's a great episode. It's called, um, sometimes skincare is rocket science. If you guys want to go back and listen to that. I learned so much in that episode. Yeah. I love having like skincare nerds on and just really going in. Um, give me the science. Yes. So, okay. Another question I have to ask you before I let you go, a beauty mistake that you made that looking back on, you feel like, wow, that was not the move. So thank God for the mirrors that are your friends, you in particular (laughs) in this case, Brooke, because I was getting all ready. It was Halloween and I was putting on my foundation. You're like, is that part of your look? Or I'm like, no, like five shades too light. And it was at the time a Charlotte Tilbury foundation. I'd gone to their store, which is fluorescently lit with no natural light. And I thought it matched. That's such a, see the thing that's so messed up about that and because you're good at makeup, right? So it's not like you're a stranger, right? Where it's like some people you look at them and you're like, maybe that's the look they're going for. But I know you and I know you're good at makeup and I know you want your foundation to match your skin. So I was like, Amelia, this foundation, <laughs> and I took a picture with Flash and then you were like horrified. You were like, is that what my foundation <laughs> Yes. And even now I'm like, huh, you're looking a little pasty. Like I'm still figuring it out. It's hard to buy foundation right now. It is hard to buy foundation right now. But the thing is, they always say like, come in store and we'll color match you. And it was just so funny because when I went with you to return it, I think the woman who had matched you like run you up and you had to like kind of confront her like, homegirl, you really did me a disservice selling me this foundation. 
And I'll say she did the best she could in the lighting circumstance that was there. Like, tell me why there aren't beauty counters outside where we know the natural light gives us all of the best true testament of color matching like fluorescence in the dark is not helpful for color matching that's such a good point like i feel like yeah like maybe they should do like sidewalk foundation yeah matching exactly return back to the beauty shop this store i'm thinking of is at the grove an outdoor shopping center in west hollywood like imagine a cute little cart where someone takes you outside to check yeah that's a great idea that's a great idea and it's so also funny because when we when we were in there returning the foundation i think there was like someone else that was in there that was also returning a foundation because the color didn't match so they just need to revisit their store uh lighting situation yes i agree yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. I think, yeah, definitely just like you have to test foundation in natural daylight and then like ask a friend. Ask a friend. That is the best <laughs> advice. <laughs> Whenever my mom sees someone that like looks like extra just wild on the street, she'll be like, that person either has no mirrors or no friends. That's so true. I think that the best thing you can do for someone in their life is be a mirror for them, whether that be literally in their makeup look or metaphorically yes. with hey girl you might you're acting like five-year-old ama right now can we who's driving what's going on are you okay well it's been such a pleasure talking to you i feel like this is just like our regular you know nice catch yes. up. and that's the thing about when you have like great deep like best friendships it's like it's not like we talk every day but when we do talk we get into it exactly yeah. we talk about the stuff that matters Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know what question's coming because not only have you been on the show before, you are a longtime listener. So when do you feel most beautiful? You know, the answer has changed since last time. And now I'm feeling most beautiful when I'm being me, when I'm being my authentic self and I'm accepting myself for that person. That feels, it feels good and bright. I love that. Do you remember what your answer was the first time? Probably fresh out of the shower, recently moisturized. (laughs) Which is also a mood. It feels so good. Um, but, you know, whether you're moisturized or out of the shower and not, I think being your authentic self is definitely connects you to a feeling of beauty. So I love that answer. Yes. Let your light, your lights shine bright. Amazing. And if, if people want to reach out to you, if they kind of connected with what you said, are you comfortable sharing like your Instagram? I should say, guys, Amelia posts nothing on social media. You wouldn't yes. believe, you know, we're best friends, but she's <laughs> like absent on Instagram. We're opposites in that respect. But you you check your DMs. You're there. I check you my DMs. Post. Okay. And I'd be more than happy to talk. I think that absolutely. Like if my, I want, yes. I think that it's important to talk about these things and I'm here for that and would love to hear from your listeners. I love the Naked Beauty Planet community. Yeah. So you're AD Glum, right? AD. Um, Actually on Instagram. Oh, oh, yeah. You're AMA underscore underscore G. Okay. AMA underscore underscore G. AMA underscore underscore G. Okay. So nice. Yep. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'll link to it as well. Thank you so much, Amelia. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you so much, love. I love you dearly. Thank you for having me. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, guys, I hope you are as moved and impacted by this discussion as I was. And I really thank Amelia for being vulnerable with her story. Let's get into this week's beauty question. If you guys have any beauty question you want me to answer on this show, email me nakedbeautypodcast at gmail.com. Make the subject line beauty question so I can easily find it. Okay, today's question is from Martha. 
Hi, my name is Martha. I love your podcast and I've learned a lot about beauty just by listening. I suffer from hyperpigmentation around my mouth and I've been using a vitamin C serum from Hyperskin and I included SPF every day into my routine. I wanted to know what's the best cleanser and toner for hyperpigmentation. Okay, Martha, great question. Hyperpigmentation is like one of the most common skin issues. And I love that you're using vitamin C. Sunscreen is probably the most important thing you can do for hyperpigmentation. If you want to get even more aggressive about treating those dark spots, people are loving the Topicals Faded Cream. I've just started using it on my legs, so it's too soon to say if there's a real difference, but that's specifically for treating marks. Now, your question about what cleansers and toners you can use is an interesting one because hyperpigmentation can actually be addressed at every single step of your skincare routine. So for cleansers, you want to look for a cleanser that has glycolic acid. That's going to really help to brighten and even out your skin tone. There are so many great glycolic acid cleansers. You can also look for a cleanser that has AHA in it. I would actually save though some of the acids for the toner. So you've asked about what toners you could use. I would drop that Paula's Choice 2% BHA liquid skin perfecting toner into your routine. That's also going to really help you with addressing dark marks and hyperpigmentation. Anything with AHA and BHA is going to be really effective. Also, using a physical exfoliant can help with hyperpigmentation as well. My favorite physical exfoliate My favorite physical exfoliant in terms of cleanser is Exfolicate. I think that's a really nice, gentle, but physical exfoliator. I hope this was helpful. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will be back next week with a new episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.